So I don't even know where to begin with the episode I just did with our special guest, Peter King. We literally talked about having the right board of advisors in your corner, how to pierce your story so you can write whatever one you want to become whatever business person, human entrepreneur that you want to do. We talked about the only two ways that human beings change and which one you most likely have. And my favorite one is we talked about the power of the sound of silence and the gift of boredom. And so I'm going to leave it at that, but I'm going to highly recommend you strap in, maybe even have your notepad open because this one is loaded with gems. So I love you. I'm super excited to get into this episode with me and Peter. So let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Mind of George show. This is a free for all Friday episode where just about anything can happen. I've had business leaders come on and share insider industry secrets. I've had monks and hypnotherapists come on, talk about mindset, discipline, the subconscious, and even swearing at me, which I never thought I would hear from a monk. Plus, I've had hours of spilling my deepest thoughts, fears, ideas, and everything in between the earlobes in my mind of George. But you can find all the episodes at mindofgeorge.com, and you never know what can happen on a free-for-all Friday. But one thing that can be guaranteed is it will either be eye-opening groundbreaking, or at the very least, entertaining. So let's open our minds and get into the show. And everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Mind of George Show. And I say it often, it probably belongs in a strake jacket. And I am super excited today because my guest has a mind like mine, and we would probably be locked up in a padded room together and have a party while doing it. <laughs> but I love this man. And... Before I even bring him on, as you hear his giggles in the background, it's this cute little giggle that he has. Um, have you ever been around somebody where you're like, they get it? Like you can feel that they get it. You can feel their heart. You can feel their sovereignty. You can feel their power. You can feel their impact. You can feel their connection. You can feel their heart. And you're like, this person, they've been playing this game for a minute. Like this isn't their first rodeo and it doesn't matter if I'm an entrepreneur, a business owner, uh, just getting started, been doing this for years, but I'm really ready to listen to what this person has to say. That's who I have today. That's the best way I can describe Mr. Peter King, who I'm going to be bringing on in a minute. And I just had the pleasure of spending two days with Peter in person as we yelled at each other. We laughed with each other. We had hard love, tough love, coaching, connection, and all the things in between. And it was a gift. And I was like, you got to come on the show because I got to share this gift with the world. And so he has been in this game of entrepreneurship for uh, 20 plus years, like officially and even longer as grown up in entrepreneurial worlds and businesses and experience, has done personal development, has done men's work, has done everything. And he is our people. He is a lighthouse. So I figured we should bring him on the show. So Peter, welcome to the show. Yo, thank you, man. That was a, that's, that was the best introduction I've ever had. And, uh, you make me all giggly. What can I say? I'll send it to you. You can use it. I'll be your MC. I tell everybody. I'm like, I'll be your hype man. I will get, I will give me a mic before your keynote and I will freestyle the best hype until I got nothing left to say. And everybody will either leave or they'll sit down and listen. It's one of the two. Hell yeah. I'm a good hype man too. We'll hype the shit out of each other. Yes. Yes. And we swear on the show if we want. <laughs> um, I've been, I've been really good. I've been really good lately. I realized somebody's like, you went a whole podcast and you didn't swear at all. And I was like, I'm growing. Sorry, I ruined your streak. No, no, no. It wasn't mine. It was somebody I'm... else's show. <laughs> okay. I tend to let the passion fly here. So I'm super honored to have you. And in typical The Mind of George show fashion, I'm going to kick off with one question. You ready? When you yes. look back in your entire life, and I mean, you've been working around entrepreneurship since you were like eight with your dad's companies, your dad's businesses, plus getting into your own world, real estate, brokerage, personal development work, men's coaching, women's coaching, relationship coaching, like the gamut is there. Let's call it the rainbow of Peter. Okay. I'll call it the rainbow of Peter. Yes. <laughs> and when I look at yes. that, I, I, I'm assuming there's been a lot of lessons and a lot of things there. So when you look back at that, what is the biggest mistake that you've ever made in any of those circumstances, the biggest mistake in that business, in that context, what did you learn and what do you carry forward now as your, I'm going to do something different today? The first thing that comes to my mind is um, making decisions off of emotional reaction. Mm. Like Talk falling back on 
psychological uh, conditioned unhealthy patterns that were unconscious. <laughs> now, I mean, that's that that begs the question: like, well, how do you make a decision if you don't know you're conscious of it? But that, to me, is the antidote. Is like we we've really got to um, help people and each other with awareness and being aware and like really understand wh why am I doing what I do? Like, why do I decide what do I do? And and develop that awareness. So uh, the biggest when I think of the mistakes that I've made in real estate, with relationships, with, you know, being dad or whatever, it's because I was in emotional reaction and it wasn't conscious, intentional decision making, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And I think that's a really amazing thing. It's actually something we just finished talking about for two days. <laughs> Yeah. when we think about it but but as you look at that now and this is something i'm i'm gonna kudos you and i'd say the single biggest thread that i focused on in my growth as a human as an entrepreneur has been as scott carney calls it increasing that wedge between trigger and response right but you said a couple of things in there that i think are really important and so i'm going to ask you so you said like how do we become conscious about that subconscious decision or reaction. So I'd love to know your thoughts on that. And then also, now that you're navigating this forward, you have these experiences, you have all that experience in real estate and brokerage and entrepreneurship and coaching and relationships and being a dad and all of that stuff. How do you set yourself up to win today? Like how do you design your day, design your container? Like what are some of the practical things that you do to ensure that you either can bring that con subconscious to conscious or you have the right people around you. And so I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on that. Dude, totally. I, I, I mean, you've alluded to the answer a little bit by saying uh, getting the right people around you. I find that finding like-minded people to uh, get you back on track. You're in a funk when you're um, playing less than when you're, you know, believing the bullshit story in your head is absolutely vital. I mean, there is a, a spiritual component to this too, that I sometimes, uh, we'll go to, um, I don't talk about that a lot per se, cause we have our own connection to God or the universe or mother earth or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I, I kind of deal with that privately and I do, I, that to me is a foundation, but on a practical level, it's connecting to people who, who have that deeper depth, who can connect and say, you know, dude, you're, you're in your story on this one, or, uh, you're better than that, or what's going on? Is everything okay? So that to me is a big piece of surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals. But the other piece too, that, um, took me a long time is just to have love of self. And we hear about this a lot. And like, you'll hear about it in, in maybe like the millennial generation where they're like, everything's okay. And, and eighth place trophies and all that bullshit. But the the sort of immature self-love aside i'm talking about the deeper a, a lot of us are so hard on ourselves mm -hmm. we are our own worst critic i was just talking to my daughter about this on the way to school today and last night as well and we were just she was just she's such a high achiever and ambitious she's a little badass she's almost 15 years old and the the standard that she sets is so admirable i personally so inspired by it and yet at the same time because of that high standard she's just as fair on herself when she doesn't miraculously doesn't uh, you know, reach perfection and whatever she's trying to do because that is her goal and intention every single time so uh, i have some of that as well uh, on, she has a on a very high intense level but for me like i have my sense of we all have our sense of what we should be or what we could be and when we fall short of that we just beat ourselves up um, you might have heard the saying, of course, uh, uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, or I'm sorry, wait, did I get that right? Yeah, love, you love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the things that, that came to me was, why not love yourself as you love your neighbor? Some of us are so giving to everybody else. This was my mother. She just poured her heart and her love to everybody else, but didn't put the proverbial mask on herself first. Mm. And that love of self to meet your own needs, I find has the reciprocal effect to then amplify all the good that you want to give to everybody else. You have to shore up and take care of yourself. And women, I think, struggle a lot of this because their hearts are such, they're so giving in nature. And I know a lot of men deal with this too, but um, that to me is, is paramount uh, as we develop and mature, we have to be okay. Uh, you, you were, you were asking about how do you win your day? How do you, how do you accomplish this, that, or whatever? And, um, uh, if I was to, 
you know, I, I look at somebody like a, a Jocko Willink or, um, you know, Joe Rogan or some of these guys that I admire and man, the bar is set kind of high, like, you know, just only a Navy SEAL commander. It's like, if I was to constantly judge myself against that, and of course, Jocko publishes his, you know, 4.30 a.m. on his Instagram every day because he's up and grinding every day. It's like, that's fucking awesome. And I love that. And But at the same time, I'm not doing that. And I, I'm okay not doing that. That's not necessarily how I'm going to define success for me. Um, but I love to take that as as momentary inspiration to push through whatever bullshit I'm dealing with at the time because, you know, people have pushed through so much greater than I have in those moments. So that's that's sort of a roundabout way to answer that question about how I find success in the day, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I, I, you know, like what I heard that like resonates too with me, and apparently I did allude to this, but like number one is like, you know, you, you got to give to yourself first, right? There's no winning when you're sacrificing self to try to succeed, right? It's got to come from this full place. And you did say something I think is really important with like this self-love because I see like this self-love, authenticity, you know, thrown around and, and there's a difference between talking about it and doing it and then even doing it and then being it. And one of the lessons that I learned is that, you know, self-love doesn't look like rainbows and unicorns. Self-love looks like radical acceptance for me and honoring mm -hmm. myself in that position. Like there's days, like when I left your house, right? I got home at like 1 a.m., 1.30 in the morning and then went to sleep at two. My son was up at six. And so that morning, you know, there was this period where like, I was like, I got to work out, got to get back in my flow. And I didn't have it for an hour or this massive amount of thing, but I was like, I just got to move. And I was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. So I just sat on the couch room and I'm like, honor myself, like checking in, like, yeah, I don't want to go. And that's okay that I don't want to go. Like, I'm tired. It's okay that I'm tired. And then I was like, I'll just go into the garage. I picked up a kettlebell a couple hundred swings later and I felt amazing. But what you're talking about, I think is such a profound topic and such a profound focus to have of it doesn't matter what it looks like. It just matters that we're aware of it and we're accepting of it. We're gentle on ourselves as we go through this process. And so as I heard you say that, that's what came up totally. for me. And then after that, it's, you know, like you said as well, and I'm summarizing this because I don't, I don't hear this talked about enough. And I think it's really, really imperative. And you, you pulled a couple really important points out. Just because somebody else is using their 4.30 a.m. or their 4, because like, you know, I go to the gym at 3.30 sometimes. Like, that's my quiet time. Like, I love it, though. And I'm not saying it's for everybody. Mm. But what you have to look at is look deeper than the surface. Like, look at the container. It doesn't matter if it's 4.30 in the morning or 7.30. It doesn't matter if it's 7.30 or 9.30. It doesn't matter if it's walking or running it. What matters is that intentionality and the consistent application of that intentionality. And then I think the third thing was... Surrounding yourself with people that hold you to your potential, not to where you are, right? And I think this is a lesson that both of yes. you and I have learned uh, greatly. And so I'm going to ask you to talk about this in a minute. But when you when you think about that, when you look back now, because you're the king, like you, you're like me, you're about relationships, you're about impact. And one of the things I know that you've experienced, and we've gone through this world multiple times, is that there's been times I've been blinded by those around me thinking I had the right board of advisors in my corner. And I was like, I'm going, I'm on my way. But then I came to reflect and realize that those board of advisors were holding me to where I was, not to where I could be. And so when you think about that, like how do you choose who you spend time with? How do you choose where you give your energy to what relationship to have impact? Like, what are your thoughts on that? There's, I mean, this is where the conscious awareness is so key because I can tell you for a part of my life, the people that I chose to be around me, I chose unconsciously because I was wanting to win their approval, mm. wanting to get their respect, uh, wanting to get the traction. If there was wanting to, uh, doing it in an unhealthy way. And so the conscious, the piercing of the, the story and the, the subconscious, direction that we sometimes get pulled into is so paramount because it allows us to choose intentionally. So now as I've become more self-aware and matured and, uh, you know, fallen down a few times and gotten back up, I choose, I'm very, you know, I have a very small circle of people that I, that I'm going to open up and, and invest time and energy with, um, on a deeper intimate level because, uh, because it is so key, uh, though the people that you do surround yourself seed you and feed you with ideas and and uh, direction that sometimes can lead you if you're not careful with it. So, 
Um, but I think that this is where the balance of the self-love comes in because recognizing that um, I am not a Jocko Willink allows me to look at that and go, I can get inspired by that, but I'm not looking to emulate it. Part of what makes that so successful is because Jocko Willink is being Jocko Willink. Mm. You know, George Bryant is being George Bryant. You found what works for you. The container that you were talking about is your container that absolutely is custom built for you because you created it, right? I spent so much of my time trying to adapt and model other people's containers. And while there's some that because it gives you a sense of direction and it, it might elevate you a little bit at some point you have to check in and go all right is this the container for me um i was at an event one time and there was uh i forget his last name tony the uh zappos CEO, oh yeah 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 um, yeah i don't remember his last name either i forget his last name but he he was uh giving a talk and the question somebody stood up and said what is your typical day like and he said <laughs> He said, the first thing I do is to try not have a typical day. <laughs> and I'm like, that's my tribe. That guy. Like, I want to talk to that guy. The, the rules and the regiment of a warrior archetype like a Jocko Willink is something that is valuable to me that I genuinely need to do a better job of. But I'm not that warrior. And so I look at a guy like Tony and go, okay, here's a guy that has created a billion-dollar company. Yep. And his mornings – you know, he has a slow morning. He, he, I think he talked about having his coffee, um, reading. I think he reads like all morning, if I remember correctly. Um, I'm a little bit of a slow starter. I'm a, I'm a night guy. Like I get my most ideas most. And I fought that for so long because society said you had to fit into this relative nine to five box as entrepreneurs. It's, you know, wake up to, you know, maybe dinner time if you have a family. But um, I fought that for so long. And until I started to say, well, what, you know, is optimal for me. I found that I had these windows of times in the early evening or even the late evening, you know, 11 PM on where I got massive creative downloads and inspiration that I would write or design or whatever. Um, so that was, that's what is working for me. Um, so that's that, that, and, and it takes self-love to do that because you're, yeah. instead of comparing yourself and feeling less than, you're optimizing for what your your custom thing is. The same thing goes for nutrition and diets mm -hmm. too. So many people try to adapt somebody else's food habits. And uh, I've got a great friend who she's a holistic, intuitive, uh, what we call them an intuitive um, dietitian or something like that. She's not certified or anything, but she has this uncanny ability. She's a, a vegan restaurant owner and she has this uncanny ability to hear what you're saying and go, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And you realize, oh, wow. Like I have a very, very unique diet that's probably going to be optimal for me. Yes, there might be a category that I can fit into to at least get me moving in that right, right direction, whether it's paleo or keto or whatever. But like there's maybe certain foods that don't specific work for me. There's going to be no diet plan that says, oh, this food uh, is not going to be optimal for you. You have to custom and dial it in and, and zoom in to what's uh, optimal for for each individual person. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, when um when you're saying all of that, like you said something to me that took me quite a long time to realize as well. Like there were so many years that I was looking at what everybody else was doing and trying to make myself fit into their box instead of realizing that the only box that I fit in is the one that I create. And we have to create our boxes. And so what I, you know... You know, the, you've heard this term like model genius, right? It doesn't say copy genius. It says model genius. Like look at the foundation, right. look at the structure and then be like, okay, who do I want to be? Like, what would that look like? And I think for me, I struggled for probably like eight years because I didn't give myself the space. And, and really, Peter, I think I didn't give myself the space to love myself and then ask myself the question of who do I want to be? Like, who do I choose to be? I was like, well, this is what the world would want or this is what social media would want. And then I would copy all these people's habits and routines, but none of them stuck because I didn't really want to do any of them. They got to a point where I hit exhaustion mm -hmm. at every single point. And uh, it was a really big lesson. But now I realize like, and when you say that, it's like, I think as long as you close these containers and you're tight with them, right? Like, you know what? Every day I want to move, right? Could be 20 minutes, could be an hour, could be at 6 a.m., could be at 6 p.m., but it's important to me. And allowing that space for that that's to a flow. Great, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I, that that's um, one of the things, because 
my I, like, and I'm still working on this, so I'm not saying this is the answer for me <laughs> even. But because of the creative uh, ADD type mind that I have, it is very, very difficult for me to fit in very regimented boxes. And you might push back on this and say, you know, suck it up and fit into the box, Pete. Let's go. Let's get more discipline. I know I need that, but I'm finding that sometimes if I look at things instead of a day by day basis, like, am I moving every single day? Am I doing this every single day? Am I doing this every single day? I'll just zoom out a little bit and say, all right, well, within the week, if I'm, am I moving four to five times a week, mm -hmm. you know, and it might mean that I might miss a day here or there that allows me to, a little bit of that flexibility so I can sort of ride my creative waves and, and yeah. energy without completely derailing myself and beating myself up for not hitting a certain target on a day. Totally. No, I, I won't push back at all. I think the thing that matters is the come from, right? If you're intentionally measuring in a week versus a day, you have fluidity, right? It's the rigidity that I think mm -hmm. gets a little too much, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. I, I would push back if you're like, well, I, I don't start my work till 9 p.m. and it's due by midnight. I'm like, hey, listen, like, let's create some containers earlier right. in the day, right? But I think ultimately right. when we think about this game, you know, it's setting ourselves up to win. Like, I love that. Like, I love, you know, like one of one of my mastermind members, Josiah, who I love to pieces, he helps people lose weight and move. And he's not like, go to the gym every day. He's like, hey, four times a week, sweat. Just four times a week, sweat. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, one time a week, remove something that maybe you realize isn't getting you to where you want to go. And looking mm -hmm. at it as that whole picture, I think for me, how I check in with myself is, and and how I check in with myself as my wife and daughter tells me to pull the stick out of my ass is typically what happens. Um, <laughs> and they'll say, pull the stick out of your ass. And I'll hear, oh, I'm being way too rigid. I need to be more in flow. And it's like, oh, but I thought we were, and like get, and then that's where I realize I just got to pull back and be like, oh, okay, flow, right? Like there's this experience that I get to have as a human where I'm making progress, but it doesn't have to be militaristic like it used to be because that was a comfort zone for me, right? That was the story, mm -hmm. you know, that I told myself, mm -hmm. which actually brings me to a question that I want you to unpack for everybody that came up a couple minutes ago, you know, because you said piercing of the story, piercing of the story. And you and I talk about yep. this a lot, but in the lens of like everybody else, like when you say piercing of the story, like what do you mean by story and then piercing the story? And mm -hmm. if you pierce the story, then where do you go or what do you focus on? I would love you to kind of unpack that for everybody. Yeah, to me, the idea of piercing the story is being aware that we have a running dialogue in our head. This is sort of psychology 101. And I, I mean, I would love if society, especially right now, God, especially right now, <laughs> if we normalized um, some fundamental psychological um, principles. Mm -hmm. And one of them is just to understand where our beliefs kind of come from. And so much of our, why we do what we do is because of society. It's because of our parents. It's because of those influences when we were young, when we were young and we were open to uh, the world and had no idea how to do anything. And we were just, we were sponges taking all this stuff in. If we didn't get the absolute perfect model for how to live life with absolute perfect balance, with absolute maximum of achievement, maximum uh, optimization of self as did if we didn't get that then there's going to be times where we bump up against that internal story that we're telling ourselves and and until we zoom out and look at oh um you know why do i drive the car i drive why am i in the line of work that i'm in why did did i am i attracted to the person that i'm attracted to or why am i in the relationship uh that i'm in why do i um wear what i wear like, where did those influences come from, right? Looking at that and zooming out and realizing um, that some of that may have been just simply because uh, it was what was shown to us, it was modeled to us without the conscious uh, selection of, yes, this is what I want to choose. So piercing the story is about recognizing that we all have some level of subconscious uh, belief generation that as adults, as mature adults, we get to zoom out a little bit and look at it and go, is this really serving me? Now, some of us did have great parents. Some of us did have great influences. So sometimes what's underneath is what we want to keep. It is effective. It is valuable. It is, uh, you know, uplifting. So, but if we can do it with conscious intent and go, yes, now that I'm looking under the hood, that is a, a, 
a, a story that is that I'm in alignment with, um, then I'm going to choose to accept that. But sometimes there's story there that's underneath that uh, we ought to challenge, that we ought to look at from multiple perspectives. And then sometimes realize, you know what, this is not what I would choose today. It might have been what I chose before in the past, but this is not what I choose today. So that's a very, I don't know if that's too ethereal or not, but that's a very sort of um, broad look at that. No, no, it made sense until you use the word ethereal. Now I don't know what it means. Um, but no, I'm just totally kidding. I do know what that <laughs> word means. <laughs> um, no, I think I think it makes perfect sense. And so w- when you think about that, you know, what I what I hear underneath that that was really supportive of me is that we think about these stories or these labels. One of the things that I really struggled with was I made up that I was the label and I made up that I was destined to be the label forever. Right. And, and one of the beautiful things is, you know, what do you mean by the label, the, the story, the story, right? Like you say, you know, this story that, you know, we have, right. I have the story of like, why I wear the clothes I wear, why I wear the car that I drive. And there was a point in my life where I was, so wrapped up and entrenched in that story or the label of that story that I thought that story was permanent. And you just said something. It's like, we have to look at this story and realize like, hey, there's stories that we have that we get to keep and keep them. But then there's also stories that we look at and we're like, hey, we can write another story. Like we can create another story. We can let go of that story and write another one. And I think that's something that took me a while to learn, but it's this beautiful thing. And like, pick your analogy you know, when I walked away from Civilized Caveman, I struggled for three years to make the decision to leave. I actually didn't feel like it was physically possible to walk away. I didn't know that that was an option. So I rode that thing into the ground because I was like, I'm just, I'm a food blogger. I'm a food blogger. Like this is the only thing that's made me money. And it took some really crazy experiences to be like, I don't have to be a food blogger. I can write the conclusion of this book and then start writing another one. And mm-hmm. Once that awareness became, then all I had to look at was like, okay, now what am I afraid of writing in the new one? And then I really had to lean in and be like, okay, well, what do I want to do? And then I had to get back into that self-love, self-acceptance and be like, okay, what story do I want to write? Um, but it was a, it was pretty profound. And by the way, the guy's last name, I can't pronounce it. It's spelled H-S-I-E-H for the Zappos okay. guy. I'll, I'll... <laughs> I'll let other people try to pronounce it. I'm like, but you know, it's funny I, is I, I popped, how to pronounce it. I, I popped it up. I popped it up just to find his name. And I thought this was really interesting. At the time this article was written, he was worth $780 million and he lived in a 240 square foot Airstream trailer that cost less than $1,000 per month in a trailer park. And he says <laughs> yeah, that. that he prioritizes spending on experiences over things because Somebody asked him a hypothetical question. He said, if your house was on fire and you could only save one thing, what would it be? And he realized that nothing in his house was worth saving and worth being singled out. So he says, I'd rather live in one of the biggest living rooms in the world. And I love the campfire conversations I get to have in the trailer park every night. Pretty dope. Mm -hmm. Pretty dope concept. So, so, you know, you and I, you and I know each other. uh, I'll use, I'll match your ethereal with viscerally. We know each other viscerally well now after spending a couple of days together, you know, and one of the things that I think, you know, listening to you and listening to you speak and being in conversation with you, this concept of like writing my story, right? Like not I am who I am, like I am who I choose to be. And like, this is something you help people with all the mm-hmm. time. Like we actually talked about this mm-hmm. at length mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. You know, if I could rewind my life five years, I would have loved if you smacked me in the face then, but I'm gifted with your presence now. But part of that, when you think about that, like, how do you get somebody like somebody's listening right now or or might be just thinking like, yeah, like, I really don't want this car or I, I don't like this story or I don't like where this is going or wow, I'm almost to the climax and I really don't like where this movie is headed or the ending here. Like when that comes up, when that level of awareness comes up and I feel like this is something you've experienced over and over when you get to that point, there's a point where you get there and you have this awareness, but the awareness will only take you so far. And so then how do you go about writing a new story? Like, what do you do to like, be like, okay, I want to change something. Right. Because I look at the level of endowment I had, right? One of the reasons I was stuck in caveman is like, I was invested. I was eight years in, I had, you know, a million followers. I had a New York times bestselling cookbook. I had an app. Like literally I, Peter, I physically felt 
like my feet were cemented into that business. Like that the only way out mm-hmm. was if it succeeded or if it went bankrupt. Like there wasn't even the possibility mm-hmm. in my mind that I could just walk away or I could sell it or I could close it. And it felt so real to me. And I remember like I felt so lost for so many years and I want to look back and like, what could I have done to write that story differently or to write a new one? And so I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on that. Sure. I, I think, I think the first thing that comes to my thought is the change comes from one of two ways. Mm. It, it's, and, and this audience may be some of the smaller percentage of people that actually changed the first way, which is you actually choose it. I'm going to put myself in uncomfortable situations. I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone because I'm a sick fuck that actually likes to be challenged and grow. <laughs> and, and I, I imagine there's a lot of people in this audience who are like that. You just have that natural drive, that ambition to want to be the best version of yourself. But most people fall into the second, and we all deal with the second category, uh, second category too, which is like, if you don't change, pain starts to squeeze, right? And the vice gets tighter and tighter until you you get to that point where you're like, I have to change. It's when you've lost the job that you thought you were going to always have. The person that you thought you were going to ride into the sunset together ends up leaving you. You know, there's a health situation, a death in the family or uh, a diagnosis, right? Those are those cataclysmic, cat, catacom- what's the word I'm trying to say? <laughs> Cataclys- <laughs> I don't, you know what I'm talking about. Those big... Those really, really big, where I'm going to dial it down to like full grade level for a second. Those big things that happen in your life where they create pivot, pivot points. And um, so the way for, that I sometimes try to like engineer those pivot points when I'm happy and comfortable and, and I don't want to change, which happens a lot. Um, like, so I'll give you an example. The, the stuff, um, after listening to your podcast with uh, Alex Sharfin, you guys talked about the power of silence. And it was so powerful to me to realize I feed my brain with some level of stimulation from wake up to, to bedtime. Yep. Whether it's listening to a podcast, listening to music, you know, doing, you know, taking care of what I need to take care of during the day, dealing with my kids, whatever I've, I have forgotten I, it, that it was so like mind boggling to me that I realized like I'd forgotten what silence sounded like. Mm-hmm. And I noticed over the last couple of weeks after I heard that episode, I'm like, I need to do that more. So I've been, I've been trying to drive in silence. I've been going for my workouts in silence. Um, I've just been sitting in silence, even at, just at home, just taking a minute literally or 10 minutes if I can. And I, what's crazy is how conditions you know, to reach for the phone, to, uh, to, you know, try to make a phone call, to reach for my keyboard, whatever, like the impulse and the conditioning is an addiction there. I mean, that's yeah. quite literally what it is. And to change that has been tough. So what I've done is I've attached value to the other side of it Mm -hmm. and listening to you and Alex talk about the, the downloads that you're getting during silence, during your workouts. I'm like, I want that. I'm like, well, where's the space in my day to do that? Where am I, where am I getting my downloads? Where am I getting those ideas, the epiphanies, the, Oh yeah. Where I have to run and like scribble it down because it's so valuable. I want to grab it. Right. I, I haven't, I hadn't been doing that. Um, and so to change that pattern, I, I connect to the, the vision and I imagine myself in that place where I start to experience what I want to experience. And that gives me the, the grit to push through the, <laughs> the impulsive, very uh, uh, addictive like behavior where I'm reaching, reaching for this damn phone or whatever. And I've done that. So like today I went on a run and I left my phone at home. I, I'm not even kidding when I say, I don't think I've done that since I've had a phone mm. legitimately. <laughs> and um, I didn't have any like earth shattering breakthroughs or downloads or whatever, but dude, just the silence alone, just to give my freaking brain a break and just breathe a little bit. And, and all of a sudden what happens? Uh, you look up and you realize, oh, there's like nature around you. Yeah. It's beautiful. And there's presence in that, that I have just been stimulating myself away from for, for too long, quite honestly. So that's a small example of how I try to make change when when I impulsively, you know, habitually do not want to. Yeah, no, I, I love it. You know, uh, Jim Quick, a dear friend of mine, says, you know, 
we have this supercomputer that like dictates our day. And you said the stimulation thing, the outside world is programming your supercomputer from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. And then we then struggle to be like, well, why can't I build the life I want? Well, it's because everybody else is building your life for you because they're programming your supercomputer. And I, I tell yes. people like, and you'll find, you'll yeah, find that. So I was just going to say, you'll find that you convince yourself of the story to do it. So for example, with my podcast listening, like I'm a podcaster. I like to listen to other podcasts because it stimulates my mind. There's a lot of interesting ideas. I also am listening from a podcaster perspective. So I'm like, well, how does he set up this question and how does he roll with this or whatever? So I'm looking at that too. So I'll convince myself the logic part of my brain will go, this is valuable. I need to do this. This is the work that I'm in. We tell ourselves these stories to justify what our behavior, why we want to know what we do. And I think the big thing to do is to zoom out and go, is this moving the needle for me? Is this mm -hmm. pushing me in the direction that I want to go in my life? And I'm finding, you know, for, on this specific issue, the, the overstimulation is, is really me just being more comfortable. It's really me, um, uh, not doing the other things that I need to do to become the person that I need to become in order to serve in the way that I want to serve. I, I've wasted a lot of time listening to Joe Rogan or whatever. And, and again, those conversations I think are super valuable and they're mind blowing, but you know what? There's, there's JRE clips for a reason. Like just yeah. go listen to the 10 minute one, go listen, you know, or hear it from you. Like we should have a conversation. Have you listened to that? No. What was your takeaway? Oh, cool. All right. What, what what's the bottom line thing that will help me move the needle a little bit forward? So just creating that space to me is, uh, has been huge. I thank you and Alex for that. Yeah, no, and I, and I couldn't agree more. Like, and you're such a better podcast than me. I was like, I'll just figure this out as I go. I'll smash my face a few times and figure out how to ask questions, right? I'm just like, but what would I talk to you about over a cup of coffee? That's about as deep as my research goes into how to ask better questions. And most of the time, I think I talk too much and I just laugh about it because, you know, I'm just as ADD as you are, uh, which means I got that unused energy. Well, I love the authenticity, though, dude, your energy and your passion is so palpable and um, and and influential, like just hanging out with you the last couple of days. I, I was on a high yesterday. Like I was like, remember, I texted you. I'm like, yeah. I am in flow, you yeah. know, and, and a lot of that was because of a the clarity that we got out of the two the, the two days but just also like feeding off your energy too. And I, I selfishly um, need that and want that from the people that I like to work with. That's one of the you know values that I look for in a, in a and, friend is like, oh, yeah. you gotta be passionate, you gotta be in the game. And I think that's what like we talked about even at the beginning, it's like the having the right people, right? Like the same with you and everything. But I wanna say something about the silence because this is something that I didn't start my silent practice till, um, two and a half years ago. And I've actually never told this story. So now's the perfect time. It's story time with Peter. And so, um, actually before I tell the story, Peter, you mentioned your podcast and I'm going to let you do this in the middle of it. Can you tell everybody the name of your new show and where to find it now so they can hear it multiple times? Cause it's, and by the way, I have an episode coming out definitely. on that show. Yes, definitely. The name of the new show is called wired for impact. It's for creators and entrepreneurs who are looking to amplify their impact. People who give a shit, who are looking to, you know, make the world a better place. We desperately, desperately need that in our world right now. So right now, as of this recording, you can find it at pkexperience.com. That's sort of my online digital hub. So pkexperience.com, uh, and there'll be a banner there. We can click on it to go to the- And I'll, I'll, I'll make this like a jingle. Imagine you're listening to a commercial right now and you just hear wired for impact, wired for impact, wired for impact, wired for impact, wired for impact. There's five times right there. So seven total. You'll remember wired for impact, but go search it out. So yeah, so this is interesting. So this silent practice was something that was created for me. Like I always knew that I was afraid of silence. I was afraid of the demons. I was afraid of the thoughts. And so when I started this healing journey, you know, to, um, to really thrive through my PTS and depression and the, the suicides and the things that I witnessed, um, I did MDMA assisted psychotherapy and it was the first time I'd ever done any quote unquote, you know, medicine or therapy or anything. And it was one of the most profound experiences in my life, but the first hour of it was one of the most painful. And this is the, this is the image that I'll give you. 
I was laying there and I was basically screaming. I was on the, I was on a boat in the ocean. I was like, I just want to jump in the water. I just want to jump in the water. I just want to jump in the water. And the water to me was safety and being this, right? It was just my ability to be in water, right? And every time I went to jump off the boat, I couldn't because there was so much trash on the surface. There was so much trash on the surface. Like literally it was just like feet and feet and feet. Like there was nowhere for me to jump in. And I'll never forget because when you do this with a psychotherapist, uh, it's, it's therapeutic and this was all done, you know, legally. And they asked me a question and they asked me one question, Peter. And I talked for four hours straight without stopping. And the image that I would give you is I was basically clearing the trash off the surface, like the story, the words, the feelings, the everything. And then I got to this point at four hours and I said the end of a sentence and then I went quiet and I didn't speak again for 48 hours. Nothing, mm. nothing. I flew home. I didn't speak at the airport. I didn't speak in the car. I didn't nothing. And I texted my wife, said I'm in silence. And that was the first time I ever fell in love with the sound of silence, as you would say. Mm. And mm. how I felt in that moment was alive, was safe, was here, was present, was human. And then I fell back into life and I let all that silence get back full again and full again and full again and full again. And then I went to the jungle with a shaman and I was so uncomfortable and so scared and I could never get that silence out of my head. I couldn't get it out of my head. Like I could feel my body craving it and I was so afraid to have it because I knew that in that silence was my self-awareness, self-love and clarity on who I wanted to become. And I mean, I was advocating it like you would not believe. And so I got down there and I asked one question. And, you know, in typical shaman form, they ask another question. <laughs> and it was one of those ones of what are you pretending not to know? Mm -hmm. And I knew the answer and I said, I'm going in silence. And that day I went in silence and I spent a couple days in silence and I made a rule that day that I would no longer listen to music with lyrics or consume content unless I had a rule that my consumption lent to immediate implementation. So like if I listen to a podcast, if at 10 minutes in I took something away, I stop and I go spend time in silence reflecting on what I learned and I put it into practice. And mm. that's how it became a part of my practice. And so then when I would go to the gym super early or go for a run super early, I was like, no phone, no music, no nothing, like go and go. And, and I had to train this thing like a muscle over and over and over. And it used to be like, Literally 30 seconds was hard for me. Like 30 seconds was hard for me just to sit in silence and, you know, even going to the gym. But now it's probably been one of the most profound things that I've ever done. And it's still a practice. Like there's days that I can, you know, just sit here in the chair when we're done and reflect for a half an hour and it feels amazing. And there's days that 38 seconds feels like eternity. Um, but it's been like one of the greatest gifts. I've never told anybody like how that came to be. Um, but I've never been able to like get it out of my DNA since then. And, and I look at it now as that silent time is my time to program my supercomputer to determine who I want to become, even just in reflection or mm -hmm. thought or, you know, anything. And mm -hmm. so that, that time, and Alex and I talked about this as well, but just the intentionality, and I'm going to say this to everybody, listen to this podcast, but when you're done, set a timer for five minutes and just think. Like, just think, like, be the witness to your thoughts, be the watcher of the movie. Like I love to do this when I pull in the driveway, I'll literally turn the car off. I don't have my phone and I'll just sit in the car for like two minutes and I'll just honor whatever is coming up or where it is. But these pockets of silence, I tell everybody that's where the path forward always lies is in those pockets of silence. And it might be in one pocket or the multitude of pockets, but I feel like that space can never lead you wrong. So I wanted to share that because I haven't shared that before. I love that. Yeah. Silence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Go ahead. I think, uh, well, I mean, I'm curious what your thought on this, but um, the, the power of silence, I think is maybe uh imperative for men do you think it's the same for women too i, when, I, I men, do men have a relationship to silence that's a little different i do i think i think it's the intentionality that matters right and and i think all of us uh -huh. need it like 
we live in a loud world, non-negotiable. Like there is no accidental silence anymore. Like you don't just get to, mm-hmm. like my accidental silence was staying at your house because like it was so far out of the town and so dark and there's no cell signal. And so it was really like amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like I took a bath in nature and love and universe and world in two days. Um, but I, I think it, I think it, I think it is across the board of like, I don't think we live in a world now where we can accidentally have anything anymore. It all has to be intentional. And in the, in the world of the men and the masculine, I think, you know, that relationship, you have to create that intentionally to explore your relationship with silence and why you're having it and what you're doing. Is it to be disconnected from the world or is it to be connected to yourself and looking at the story? And then I think, Mm -hmm. you know, for women as well, like giving yourself that space to appreciate yourself and be in your feelings. Like women run this world, like you are the modulation of experience and feelings. And I think both of them are equally important, but I've, I've learned basically in, in my life and my coaching and in the men's work and all the practices that we do, that if you don't do it intentionally, it'll never come ever, ever, ever. And I think every human being, like, I mean, I I remember when we were kids, right? Like we used to spend eight hours a day in silence, in beingness, like climbing a tree, walking in the woods. It's so crazy. You know what, uh, you know what our children don't experience? Boredom. Boredom. (laughs) I, I told my kids, I'm like, you guys need to experience. I'm like, you don't know the gift of boredom. Like mm. it blows my mind because they are constantly plugged into something. Yeah. The constant stimulation. Because uh, do you, I mean, don't you remember being a kid being like, I'm so, so bored. bored. Like there's nothing to do. My kids, and I'm not even kidding with you right now. They'll reach that point at maybe 90 seconds. Maybe mm-hmm. like we're going somewhere like, dad, what do we do? I'm like, uh, I don't know. Sit there. Like, that's not my problem. Like figure it out. <laughs> Be bored. Enjoy the gift of boredom. Figure it out. Dude, it's, it's crazy. We're well, just not bored anymore. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is like when I look at my silence and like Alex and I talked about this, like it is, it really is the gift of boredom. And in my opinion, when you get to the point where you feel bored is when the best ideas come because yes. literally there's, totally. there's nothing processing in your brain except I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. Yeah. And if you honor that boredom and you're just like, I'm bored, literally Within a moment, it just gets filled with creativity because it's no longer reactive to go all the way back to the beginning of this. It's like the biggest mistake was being reactive. And I was like, and I think the inverse of that is probably giving yourself the space until there's no more knee-jerk reaction or ability to react. And then you can explore it and choose how to respond. But all of that comes through boredom. All of it. Totally. And I mean, have you done the float tanks before? I love it. It's my favorite thing ever. Like my favorite thing ever. My buddy had one in his garage up the street. So I would go all the, I did a, I did an eight hour float and uh, eight hours. Yeah. Eight hours. You know, I'm a little extreme, right? So, um, (laughs) yes. Yeah. Uh, but I like to figure out who I am. That's what I tell people. Like I don't go to the gym for three hours because I'm trying to like outwork anybody or hurt my body. I find really deep parts of myself in those moments of, I don't want to do this anymore. Like when I go on like three or four hour hikes, like I remember being in the military and I'm like, no part of me wants to hike 22 miles with 60 fucking pounds of gear on like F you. Right. And I'll always remember, like I can, I can tell you the modulation of how I felt. I was excited for the first mile. Like, Oh, I'm so strong. And then literally I was broken three miles later. And I'm like, I literally physically can't do this, but somehow 18 more miles comes out of me, but I'll never forget the feeling of being on the other side of that 22 miles and not of like, Oh, I'm so much stronger. My body's like, I'm like, wow. Like, cause the thoughts like to be in a situation where no matter what you can't stop walking or you're effed, like you got written up, you got charged, you might get arrested, dereliction of duty, you name it doesn't go well. And then to realize that you just keep pushing, but the exploration of self in that time, like we're talking, you know, eight hours of this, right? Because we average 3.3 miles per hour on those hikes. It's all calculated. So you have to walk at a pace to hit three miles in an hour with a 10 minute break to change your socks, get water and go. And so, yeah, divide three into 22 and uh, you're in the military. There's no headphones. There's no speaking. There's just you getting yelled at to go faster, right? And 
it, it brings me back to that like Viktor Frankl stuff. Like every time I reread Man's Search for Meaning, it's a really stark reminder that the greatest things in my life and in life in general come through resistance. And so what I like to find is pockets where I would want to naturally lean out or go to comfort or lean into my phone and be like, okay, but what if I just lean into this discomfort like for one more minute or for one more second or for one more day, which is why I do ice baths, which is why I do these things. And I'm not perfect. Like, listen, I I will tell you better than anybody. Like I explore this stuff every day to find these pockets, but I I feel like it's the secret gift. Like if everyone's like, what's the secret? I'm like the exploration of self, the the leaning into discomfort, but you know, like not when anybody's looking, like just yeah. in that relationship with yourself. And like when I go to the gym in the morning, I go at 3.30 when I go, when I go to the gym and I don't put music on. And I'm going to tell you right now, six out of 10 workouts, I'm bawling my eyes out. Six out of 10 of them. I'll be going, right? I'm like, I'm so strong. I'm, I'm nailing chest. I'm nailing, you know, triceps. And then I'll hit this point where I'll have this thought or this feeling and I'll be working out and I will break out in like hysterical crying while working out and I'll explore it. And is it, it like childhood stuff? Is it military stuff or like what, what's? No, like it actually just it feels like my body's just like expressing, like actually like authentic. Ha- have you always been that way? No. Have you always been... No, it wasn't until, it wasn't until after I started to do like the deep, deep, deep work, um, that I was actually able to express, like I had this story that I was numb. Like I, I told people for 10 years that I was incapable of feeling and that was my story. And then one of my wisest teachers looked me square in the face and said, well, I'm about to blow your mind. And I was like, okay. And they're like, numb is a feeling. And Peter Oh shit. It was like an atomic bomb dropped on my story. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when I think about this human experience, cause we're here at this point in this conversation, my biggest takeaway that I want to pass on to my children in my current state is that we're supposed to feel a range of emotions that we're supposed mm-hmm. to modulate every day. And the moment you honor those and allow them to express is the moment you can emote in a different capacity. Mm -hmm. And I think for so long, I tried to control it of like, I can only feel this way. Or if I mitigate this and it's like, no, I was like, what was I robbing myself of? Like, what was I so afraid to feel like I'm not Mm going to die or I'm going to be sad for a minute, but there's a reason I'm feeling sad. Like my check engine lights on. Plug mm-hmm. in the computer and ask what the diagnosis is. And sometimes just asking clears it. Other times mm-hmm. it stays mm-hmm. for five days, seven days. And like, you know, Stefanos and I talk about this and he's like, every time I get uncomfortable, I'm, I don't even bother texting him because he's like, go deeper, lean in more, feel it more. And I was like, yes. And, and I just think it's such a profound thing. And it all, I find most of this happens in silence to really close that loop. <laughs> hmm. Well, so. you had mentioned um, numbness being a feeling. That's going to trip me out later today as well. Because um, I, I spent a good portion of my adulthood in that numbness. Um, I, I, In fact, I literally, dude, I was literally just writing a social post yesterday about the time that I listened to Pink Floyd's Comfortably Numb. And I remember mm. hearing that song when I was numb going and just like nodding my head, pointing to it going, Yep, that's it. I am comfortably numb. Like the the there's value in the numbness because if I'm numb, then I don't have to make decisions. I don't have to take risks. I don't I I don't have to be wrong. Uh, I can stay comfortable in my numbness, and yep. that can be my story. And I had to wrestle out of that man, and had to break out of that, and it was it was tough and and wildly worth it. Well, and my, my I had I had to dismantle so many things in my life, but man, it's been worth it. And this is to tie this all the way back to what you said earlier. I don't think you or I was ever comfortable in our numbness. It, it felt safe and it felt familiar. And it's like, yes. And, and, you know, for me and maybe not for you, but for me, it was just me not giving myself the credit and loving myself to go back to what you said earlier to be like, I can really have what I want. If I put in the work, if I remove myself Mm -hmm. from the situation or, or the biggest thing for me was accepting that 
just because I had this world of trauma, maybe I witnessed, you know, death at war or suicide that I didn't have to have an equal healing modality to feel better. I just had to take a step in a different direction. And, you know, I think for me, that's, that's been like the biggest thing is like that space and that silence gives me the ability to find in what direction maybe that step is without even having Mm -hmm. clarity of where I'm going. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. I wanted to share one other thing real Please. quick about, I mentioned my daughter, my daughter earlier in the conversation that we had. I got to have her on the podcast. She was, uh, dude, I, I wish you would. She's, I, will. I mean, like I try to help her understand that she's, uh, she's so emotionally intelligent and just uh, so ambitious. It's, it's really awesome to, to talk even, to her. She even her, even her active listening skills make me uncomfortable. Like I've, I've never met a more present child in my life. Like, I'm like, wow, she's really here. And then there were a few points where I was like, I think she's judging me, but she's totally not judging me. Like, that's totally my story. But her level of presence is a gift, man. It's amazing. It really is. She, and there's not a judging bone in her body. No, Uh, no, that's my insecurity. Yeah, she, well, I have to throw out there too. My son is the same way. Um, and it's funny to watch the dynamic between the two because my daughter will fill up a lot of space. She's got a lot of passion and energy. And my son, for a long time, was was on the peripheral of that. And I wasn't sure, like, is he is he hearing this? Is he connected? This? And then every once in a while, he'll just drop a little. He's he's freaking hilarious, and he'll drop a little, you know, humor or whatever. I'm like, but it, but it's pointing at all of the stuff that we've been talking about. So I, it's cool to see him absorb all this as well. Um, but I wanted to share with you the thing that I was talking about with my daughter, which was uh, Eckhart Tolle talks about the collective dysfunction of the human experience, mm. right? The collective dysfunction of the human experience is us writing the bullshit story that our human mind makes up and, and, and it adds meaning to all these different things. Oh, I'm a, I'm a piece of shit because of this, or I'm a bad father because of that, or uh, I'm a failure because of this or whatever. That meaning making I have found never stops. It, it And I judged myself and I gave myself such a hard time for a lot of my life simply by having the thought. And one thing they learned to uh, like minimize that is to realize a, it's never going to go away, but B stop identifying with it. The thought is not who I am. And this is what I was sharing with my daughter. Mm -hmm. This is the little mental exercise that I go through when I get a nasty thought. And it's not always about identity. It could be about like, you know, the coming apocalypse or, or, uh, you know, um, I don't know. They're just morbid thoughts, deep, like just dark shit that you're like, where is that even coming from? And I, because we have these thoughts, we sometimes identify with them and we, mm-hmm. we associate with them. So the move that I do to, to break that, um, mesmerism is when that thought comes in, I literally mentally write it down in my head on a mental piece of paper. And then the first, the first thing I do, and this is key is I thank my little reptilian reptilian brain that probably was the one that ended up writing this and I go, I, I know your intention is to try to serve me and to try to help me and try to keep me safe. Thank you. But you know what? And then I mentally crumble it up and I throw it in a mental garbage can. And that process has helped me like that. The thought is not who I am. And I realized my, when I shared that with my daughter, she was like, like it, it sunk in a little bit. Cause we just, we spent a lot of our times beating ourselves up. So when that thought comes in, write it down, like mentally, literally see it written down in your head, thank it. Cause there's, there's, there is a well intention behind it. Like it's trying to keep you safe and then just crumble it up and throw it away. And that's, it's allowed me to uh, associate it with me on an identity level. I love it. I, and actually, by the way, those guided visualizations are one of the most powerful tools in the world. Like I, I take my team members through it. Like I'll just have them sit on the floor. I'll give them homework to go like literally visualize them throwing something out like that. I, something came to me when you were saying that, you know, I realized when I'm in silence, I never beat myself up because I get so sick of doing it in like 30 seconds and I don't have any external evidence to collect against myself, right? Like it's so easy when I used to scroll social to be like, oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. But I get so sick of my own voice, like being mean to myself. Like it goes away in like 10 seconds when I'm in silence. It's really powerful. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so – I think that's a perfect way to end. We'll have to do round two in a couple months, but I, I love that. And there was so much packed in here. And I would, I would tell you to 
I would ask you to tell everybody what your favorite food is, but will you just tell everybody about this stupid dessert that you made me eat or whatever this thing was when I was in St. Louis? What is that thing called? So St. Louis is weird. We have our, we have these little like food items that we define ourselves by. And one of them is gooey butter cake. And it's, it's, it's like orgasm on top of sugar. Like, I don't know how to explain it other than I, it's literally this like crumb cake bottom with this gooey buttery thing in the middle topped with more sugar. And it's just, yeah, it goes yeah right to your, your, it gets right into your bloodstream and you want to go shoot yourself, but you're loving it at the same time. Oh, like that was the one time where I was like, I'm going to be a sugar addict right now. Like I'm going back into dark territory that I used to live in. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Hold the gate. I'm coming. Like I'm walking. And I don't know what it is. Yeah. If if you just nurtured yeah. me well or set it up well, but St. Louis had some really good food or Peter was like, I'm going to make sure he loves St. Louis because it was, it was four for four with every single thing that I, I literally like the best homemade pasta of my life, even compared to Italy and the North end in Boston in the middle of this like suburb of St. Louis. And then this butter cake was like on a different level. I don't even know, man. It was amazing. It was amazing. It's good. I mean, St. Louis, we have our, yeah, we have, it's a, it's, it's a lot of chain restaurants and all that, but there are some real diamonds in the rough here for sure. All right. So here's what I want you to do. I want you um, to leave everybody their wisdom. So everybody, just to reiterate, the new show of Peter's is called Wired for Impact. And you can find it at pkexperience.com, uh, which is P and then K, Peter Kilo or Peter King, since that's his name, and then experience.com. And by the way, was cataclysmic the word earlier? Catacly yes, that one. Got it. Okay, cool. Cataclysmic. It. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tongue twister. And so I want you guys to go check out a show, Wired for Impact. I think we have an episode dropping soon too, um, so you'll be able to find that. And of course, yes. I'll share it with all of you. But I would love it um, if everybody listening to this, if you could print anything, imprint anything on their hearts to carry forward for the rest of today, for the rest of tomorrow, for the rest of the week, or for the rest of the month, what would your closing words be? Uh, I'll share a quick story with you. I learned about this story in, it was back in the 1960s, there was a group of Italian fishermen that, um, you know, they would go about their deep fishing. And one day they went out and they threw their cat, uh, nets overboard and they started to haul up the, the haul and, but it was like stuck on something or it was, it was different. And they started to pull it up and they realized, Oh, something's heavy in it. They pull up the netting and they see what they look, what they think is like a human form in the netting. And so they bring it over and they drop it down on the deck and they realize that it's a statue, but the statue is covered in uh, inches and inches worth of barnacles and mud and debris and all this stuff. They then took the statue completely, you know, uh, refurbished it. And it was, it, it is one of the most um, pristine statues from the, I think it was from the Greek era. And it's basic, it's called the Getty bronze. And it is a beautiful uh, intact piece that has the, the Olympic, um, what do they call that? The uh, the thing that they put on their heads, the wreath they put on their heads. Uh, it's beautiful, beautiful piece, and it's now subject to international like debate who owns it because it was it was you know found in these waters. But it, so there's all these different countries that are fighting over it. To me, that is the metaphor for for all of us. We feel sometimes alone at the bottom of the ocean, at the bottom of the sea. We have these story that we build up over time. George, you, you were talking about the debris on top of the water. Mm. Like that's like the barnacles, right? And we, we sadly sometimes start to believe that story that I'm just alone. I'm in the dark. Uh, I'm covered in shit and all this story. I'm but what we don't realize and what we don't recognize is that there is a masterpiece a masterpiece in every one of us. And it just needs a little bit of time and attention and care to pull that out, to clean off the bullshit stories and to realize we are all of that. We are all of that. So that is what I'm, I love doing that. I specifically love helping men understand that because right now we really need masculine clarity and leadership. And it's the reason for the podcast wired for impact. It's the reason why I do what I do. So just remember everybody who's listening to that right now, you are that masterpiece within 
And uh, George, thank you for your time and your energy and your passion and all this because it, it lights me up. It helps remind me of, of who I need to be and what I need to do, all the tough love you talked about. So thank you, man. Yeah, of course. Of course. Thank you for being here. For everybody listening, I am not going to do anything except help amplify that message. So I'm going to let that ring true in you and your soul and on your heart. Make sure you go check out Peter King. Wired for Impact is the show. PK Experience is his website. So until I see you in another episode, have a beautiful day. And remember, relationships always beat algorithms. We love you. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you or hear you or you'll hear me or somebody else in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.